Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill us again. Somebody amen that one. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and make your way to the book of Acts in the New Testament just after the Gospels, and we're going to pick up in chapter number 26, Acts chapter 26. Any of you thankful to be here this morning? As I'm looking around, uh, it's amazing to me how God continues to draw and do uh, the impossible out here in the middle of nowhere, and I'm so thankful that He continues to draw people, you know, Um, that He brings us and that He draws us and that He does things in our life that is just simply amazing. Would you agree with that statement, anybody? Amen. And so today, again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 26. And I want to bring you to a familiar passage in the Word of God uh, that deals with um, the life of the Apostle Paul and how he, as he uh, deals with his life change as he's been on the road to Damascus and been born again, and uh, now because he's been born again, he is living this new life before a certain king by the name of Agrippa. Is anybody familiar with that passage of Scripture? Yes. Uh, He's testifying before King Agrippa. And so as he's made his way there, uh, we're going to find in Acts chapter 26. Oh, I didn't tell you the verse. If you will, find verse number 15, verse number 15. All right. When you made your way there, just sort of look up and I know that you're there. Now, as you're doing that, I want to bring something to uh, our attention, too, about the young people in the room. I want to say to parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and neighbors uh, who bring children into the worship center, first of all, thank you. Um, Let me say that children need to be under the preached Word of God. It's different. It's ordained of God, and it is um, able to make people wise into salvation, and so thank you. I know sometimes that can be a little extra effort, right? Uh, Let me just say this. Sometimes they're going to be a little unsettled like I was at that age. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Give me a head nod. And what I'm going to ask everybody in the room to do is, if you hear one call out, they're just saying amen in their own way, okay? And uh, so don't, everybody, don't do this, right? You've heard a baby cry before. Don't, everybody turn and look at that person because it feels awkward. How many know it feels awkward when that happens? Yeah, and so don't look that. You know what it is, and so no need to check it out. Uh, Mom, dad got it taken care of, so I just encourage the people in your neighborhood to keep looking straight ahead and stay focused, all right, by the power of God's Spirit. The also, uh, I want to show, could you show me that picture that we had from the early worship time? Can y'all put that up there for me? And so what I asked the children to do is as they're here, this was drawn in the early worship time, and so kids, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to do a couple of things. First, keep mom and dad awake or whoever it is that you're sitting with because older people go to sleep when they get cool and still, okay? And those two things are here, and so it'll happen quick. Watch them, all right? The other thing is, as you're hearing this message of Paul testifying about Jesus in front of a king called Agrippa, you might draw a picture similar to this. Do you see here in the picture, Paul on the left-hand side and Agrippa on the right-hand side? And uh, yeah, you just, however you might see them in your imagination, I would encourage you, as you hear the story, draw things that you hear in the historical account of Paul testifying. Thank you for sharing that with me, all right? And if you get a chance, come find me and show. I love to see you. You guys are artistic. I'm beyond our wildest dreams. So uh, come show me those. It really lights and brightens my heart when you do that, okay? Acts 26, the Apostle Paul, he has been born again, okay? He's on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, 
And he, uh, as he's on his way there, he has papers to arrest Christians, and he's on his way there. And as he's on his way there, uh, a bright light shines, knocks him down on the ground. He's blind, okay? He calls out to the voice who's speaking to him. Uh, he says, who are you, Lord? And in that moment, he hears from the Lord, I am, if you know the name, say with me, I am Jesus. Now, uh, Paul's whole life has been committed to uh, chasing people down, having them arrested, having their families torn apart, having them starved and stoned um, because of one name. And that one name is Jesus. And so in that moment, I'm certain he's expecting to hear some other term uh, than the name Jesus, El Shaddai, uh, Jehovah Rapha, some Old Testament name for God. But in fact, he hears Yeshua, he hears Jesus. And so in that moment, he says, what do you want me to do, Lord? And Jesus tells Saul or Paul what he wants him to do. Okay, y'all tracking with me? Now, here's something you need to know in the, on, the, on the onset. Followers of Christ are not saved to sit on the sidelines, okay? Everybody with me? Followers of Christ are saved to join him on mission. So God didn't just save Paul so he would stop killing Christians. He saved Paul so that God would use him to make Christians. Does that make sense? Anybody out there? Okay. So uh, now we fast forwarded several chapters to chapter 26. Now Paul has been arrested. You say, well, is he Saul? Is he Paul? He's both. Uh, Saul would be his Hebrew name. Paul would be more known in the Roman or the Gentile circles. No, Jesus didn't give him a new name. When he got saved, he had both of those names depending on the audience he was dealing with. Okay, you'll find that he was actually called Saul longer into the scriptures than the moment of his conversion and salvation. But now as he's dealing with, he's now been arrested because he won't shut up about this one name. Can anybody guess what the one name is? Talk about irony, man. Here's the hunter uh, turned into the hunted. And he won't shut. And the same people he went around hunting people with, now he's been hunted by. And he's been arrested. And I'm going to tell you something. You'll find out what you really believe when it's put to the test. And only when it's put to the test. You may think you believe something, but fella, let me, when, let me tell you, when it's tested, you'll find out whether you believe it or not. And so he's being tested. If he'll shut up about Jesus, they'll let him go. But he will not shut up about that one name, Jesus. Now, as he is able to, because he's a, listen, something interesting about Paul, he's a Jew by birth, nationality, but he's also a Roman citizen. Talk about God choosing the perfect missionary, right? And as he is able, uh, once he's charged, he can go free, right? If he's not, there's no crime against him, or he can choose as a Roman citizen to go all the way up the chain of command, all the way to Caesar, okay? And that's what Paul's doing. Now, the purpose of this is not for his innocence, because they'll let him go. He's done, done nothing wrong in the Roman court system's eyes. But he wants to challenge it all the way up so that as every time he gets put in front of a Roman leader, uh, guess what he's gonna talk about? One name, Jesus. And so that's what he's doing here before King Agrippa, okay? Now, with that, you get a little context now about what's going on, okay? I'm gonna invite you now to stand to your feet and let's look at the passage today. Acts 26, verse 15, and we're gonna go down through verse number, you ready for this? Verse number 29. Can y'all hang on that long? Good, I knew you could. Uh, the good news is there's not another crew rushing you. And so y'all just kind of, you see that there's, a, there's kind of a cost-benefit thing. You sleep a little later, and you get to stay a little longer. Isn't that good? That's awesome, man. And so I'm, I'm thankful that you're here, okay? Let's start in verse number 15. Now, the story is, we're picking up in the middle of the historical account. He's already been arrested. He's already talking to Agrippa. He's telling Agrippa some things, but we're going to pick up right where he's telling him what, what he said back to Jesus, okay? Y'all got it? Paul's talking to Agrippa about what Jesus said to him and what he said to Jesus on that road to Damascus. Verse 15, so I, Paul, said back to Jesus, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. 
but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. Now, here's a key, very important fact, to whom I now send you. We are rescued and we are sent. That's always the pattern of God. We're rescued and sent. So he didn't send me overseas. No, he sent you to your home and he sent you to your workplace and he sent you to your, to your schoolhouse, okay? All right, so he sent him. Um, he's telling Paul, I'm gonna send you, all right, to the Gentiles, verse 18. Now, here's the purpose of sending. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of who? God, that they may receive, oh, look at this, forgiveness of sins. And not just that, an inheritance among those who are sanctified by, Jesus said, faith in me. Isn't that crazy? They're, they're made just and right before God by faith in Jesus. All right, verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, <clears throat> I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. So what Jesus told me that day, I wasn't disobedient. Matter of fact, he's doing it right here. He's doing exactly what Jesus said. But declared first to those in Damascus who were Jews, and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. And here's what his message was, you ready? That they should, y'all help me, what's his message? To repent and then turn to God and then do works befitting. Now we don't say that word befitting. What he's saying is it, repentance is not I'm sorry. Repentance means it's gonna show that my mind has changed and my allegiance has changed and my actions follow. Is that, y'all okay? Everybody go, okay, good. All right, moving on, verse 21, for these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple, and they tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, I love this statement right here, to this day, I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. All I'm doing is saying what God's already said. What did he already say? That the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he has thus made his defense, um, Paul has just defended what he said that Jesus said to him, there was a guy in the group named Festus. Now, this isn't Festus from Gunsmoke, y'all right? Y'all okay? It's a different Festus, okay? <clears throat> Way before him. And Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, now you gotta hear, I gotta go loud because he, he said it loud. Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is making you mad. And Paul responded, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things, for I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. Here's what Paul's saying. This king is wise. This king knows what the Moses and the prophets have said, and this king knows what's happened in, the, in, the, in our times, Jesus' death and resurrection. It didn't, they wouldn't hidden. Everybody's heard about it. Verse number 27, now Paul turns to Agrippa and speaks personally, one-on-one. -on -one. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? In other words, he's saying, do you believe what the prophets said about the Messiah, about Jesus' coming and death and resurrection? I know that you do believe. And Agrippa responded to Paul by saying, you almost persuade me, somebody help me, to become a Christian. Boy, that's a haunting phrase right there, isn't it? I would imagine if Agrippa never came to Christ, I would imagine now this many thousands of years on fire with no hope of another chance. I would imagine that right now, Paul, I mean, that, that Agrippa would say, I wish I would have been persuaded to fully commit my life to Christ. And Paul said, I, listen to Paul now, hear, hear the urgency in Paul's voice, because Paul knows this is not an invitation to, to uh, a church gathering. This is not an invitation to a family reunion. This is an invitation to salvation. So listen to the heaviness of Paul's response. 
I would to God that not only you, but also everyone who hears me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am. What is he? A follower of Christ. Except Paul didn't want them to have the change that he was in. All right, let's pause for a word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a moment, okay? Father, we thank you today for, this, for the wonderful truth of your word and God for the presence of your spirit here with us. We thank you, Lord, for what we've already seen. It's amazing what you've already done. Two people unashamedly coming forward and identifying with Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray that you would save to the utmost. I pray, God, that you'd help me to preach this word with passion and clarity and great grace. At the same time, Lord, as you use me simply as a vessel in your control, would you also preach to me because I need it as much as anybody in the room. Father, would you tune our ears to your loving voice, the loving voice of a father speaking to his children. Father, I pray that we'd sit at the table and we would feast on your word. We would leave here with our souls satisfied, and we pray it in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now then, as we continue our time together, I just want to sort of go back, if I could, and give you the title of the message this morning. Here it is. You ready? The greatest offer most commonly rejected. The greatest offer most commonly rejected. <clears throat> when I was a child, I'm not exactly sure what age I was, but my parents, I know we were still living in Carthage, so I was younger than eight, and I remember a time when my parents got invited to, and I didn't know what all was going on, I just know we were going on a weekend vacation, all right? We didn't go on a lot of vacations growing up, so man, it was special to me and my three sisters. And so as we go, <clears throat> I remember uh, us sitting down, I think it was on the coast, and we sat down, and man, they fed us. We had a breakfast uh, like out of this world, had fancy food, you know what I'm talking about, fancy food, not the ordinary stuff, but they just, man, it was really nice. And then we had lunch. And in between, there were these meetings where we'd have to sit in this room and listen to these people talk about stuff on the board and point at stuff, you know, and there's a big group of people. And I'm thinking, man, I, all I could hear was this invitation to a club, you know? And uh, I was so excited that we were getting invited to this club because a little bit I knew about this club at six or seven years old was that they ate really good, right? They ate really good food, and what I kept hearing is that you get to go on these vacations every once in a while, you know? And uh, this, so hey, who won't want to be a part of the club where, where you get to eat good food and you go on vacations all the time, right? And I'm so excited about that. And we spent the night, and we stayed another day, and again, we had these meetings all day long. And then I remember us getting into the car, and I remember the man trying to get my dad, convincing my dad to sign on the dotted line, and my dad just kept saying, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. And I remember us getting in the car, and I remember sitting in the back seat just deflated. You ever been deflated? You remember being deflated as a kid? Like somebody let all the air out of your sail? And I'm sitting in the back seat. Here's what it looks like, pouting. You, ever, you know what pouting looks like? And I'm in the back seat back there pouting. I remember asking, Dad, Dad, why can't we be part of the club? And he said, I remember him like, like yesterday saying, Son, some things are too good to be true. Now, since that time, I have heard countless adults frustratedly complaining about these timeshare clubs that they get to be a part of, that get to eat good food and travel all the time, except it doesn't work out the way they present it. And so I'm thankful that sometimes in this life, listen, some things are too good to be true. But the offer we hear today from the Apostle Paul as an ambassador for Christ, as a representative of Christ, as a Christian, Christian little Christ, on the scene after Agrippa's heart. Now, when I say after his heart, I'm not talking after it to weigh it down. I'm not talking after Agrippa's heart to, 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 to pile on rules and regulations. I'm talking about that Jesus was after Agrippa's heart to set him free and forgive his sin and give him an inheritance with the saints. 
And how is he after Agrippa's heart? He's living in Apostle Paul, and he's speaking through the Apostle Paul, and Apostle, the Apostle Paul is preaching and speaking on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, my friend. If you've been born again, that is you. We then are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were in us pleading with you be reconciled to God. So that is, in fact, your mission. If you've been wondering what on earth you're here for, and you've been buying books and listening to podcasts and all that silly stuff, I would encourage you, just pick up your Bible, and you'll find out that you were created by God, for God, and like God. And as he rescues you in the person of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, he then invites you into his mission to continue the journey of reaching out to people and rescuing them by the simplicity of sharing the gospel. What's Paul doing before Agrippa as Jesus' ambassador? He's sharing the gospel. So let's dive into what that is. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Though this deal seems too good to be true, it is, in fact, not too good to be true. So let's put our eyes on it, all right? Number one, there are going to be about six of these. Is that all right? All right, you got your notepads ready? Our guests are looking around like, what are all these people with all these notepads? Uh, we believe Jesus is the master teacher. We believe the word of God is the authority in our lives. And so we believe we all are very forgetful. And so we like to jot a few things down so we can spend a little time uh, with it on our own a little later on, okay? So I encourage you to bring something with you, okay? Here we go, main idea. Main idea of the thrust of this text. Jesus is the way. Now I'm gonna come back to that several different ways. Jesus is the way. As I was writing out the outline, I wrote down, Jesus is the right way. And I got to thinking, well, there are no other ways, so I scratched out right. And then I put Jesus the best way, and I thought, well, compared to what? He's the only way, so I scratched that out. And so I reminded that as I was trying in my small-mindedness to put a, a fancy terminology with the way, I decided it best to just use Jesus' explanation when he said about himself in John 14, 6, I am the way. Simply put, the way. You said the way to what? The answer is yes, to peace and joy and forgiveness and heaven, and right relationship with God, and all of the above, and so much more, okay? So, let's rewind back to the beginning. Number one, and you notes, write this down. These are all going to point back to the fact that Jesus is the way. Number one, Jesus opens spiritual eyes. Jesus opens spiritual eyes, okay? <clears throat> now, we're going to find this, and our focus today is going to be on verse number 18, okay? Now, some of y'all, when I say we're going to focus only on one verse, you're our guest, you look nervous, and you're, nervous, you're a little bit worried about, can we feel 30 minutes or so, 35 more minutes or so with one verse? And our home folk would tell you, yes, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid, we'll carry it to the end, okay? Uh, this, this verse, we, we say it this way, this verse is pregnant with truth. And, and, and not just twins, but probably triplets or, I don't know, quadruple, whatever you want to call it. Uh, let's look at what verse 18 has to say. Now, remember the context. Paul is telling Agrippa what Jesus said to him when he called him to salvation and gave him his purpose and message for the rest of his life, okay? So here we go. Number one, you know, let's write this down. Jesus opened spiritual eyes. Look back in verse 18. I'm going to send you, all right, first to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles, specifically the Gentiles, and the purpose is going to be, verse 18, number one, first purpose is to, somebody help me, open their eyes. Now, come on, y'all got to wake up a little bit now. Let's say that again, to, I think y'all can get a little more energetic than that, all right? Come on, ready? One more time, to, open their eyes. Now, does that mean that all the Gentiles are walking around with their eyes closed, bumping into stuff, you know, with canes and, and seeing eye dogs? No, no, no. What he's talking about here is our spiritual eyes. In other words, our understanding, if you will. Does that make sense to you? And so, let me just say to you something you already know. 
the th- ways of God, the teachings of God, the principles of the kingdom don't make any sense to the natural man who does not have the Spirit of God. When you say that blessed are the poor in spirit, no, 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 no. The world says poor people are not blessed, and so they're against that. Uh, I'm telling you, every principle that the kingdom teaches the world is in the opposite, okay? So when you say forgive your enemies and bless those who persecute, they say, you're crazy, man. And unless you have your spiritual eyes open, it will make no sense to you whatsoever. Now, let's talk for a minute about where do we get this blinded condition from, okay? Can you catch it in the water? Right? Where do we get the spiritual condition? Do you catch it? Was it something you eat? It causes you to have a spiritual blindness? No. Let me give you a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Write in your notes there and let's look at what it has to say. Paul says here in his second letter to the church at Corinth, encouraging them about this condition, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says this. Whose minds, the God of this age. Now let's stop right there and leave that, leave that verse up there for me for a few minutes. Uh, the God of this age. Now, do you see that the God there is lowercase? Did you notice that? This is yes. All right. This is no. This is, I want you to hurry up because I'm hungry and I'm ready to eat lunch. Uh, y'all are looking at me that way this morning. So, listen, what he's saying is the God of this age. How many of you know who the God of this age is? Satan. That's weird, isn't it? It's weird to even think about uh, uh, by the way, um, Paul's talking here about the God of this age. Jesus referred to him as the prince of the power of the air. Uh, and so we understand that the God of this age, little g, has in fact done something uh, that needs to be undone and only God can undo it. What's he done? Uh, whose minds, the God of this age, y'all help me, has blinded. So the enemy has fed me and you that we are the only thing that matters, that what we want to do when we want to do it is the only thing that matters. We can mask it as service. We can mask it as drunkenness. We can mask it as uh, relationships with all kinds of men and women. We can mask it any way we want to mask it. But what it is is the enemy has used, okay, the desire in our heart to convince us we're all that matters. We're all that matters. Isn't it interesting that you have never set your children down on a Saturday morning and said, kids, get up. I've got some pancakes made for you, and some blueberries to put on top. I don't know why I mentioned food. Some of y'all, boy, you go to daydreaming. And, uh, and, and I want you to come sit down at the table, and mom and daddy are going to spend about 30 minutes this morning teaching you how to be selfish. When you get a toy, grab onto that thing with all your might. If a kid has a toy in the nursery, you won't go bite him on the arm. Now, no parent has ever done that. And yet, every parent in the room knows that every child comes into this world blinded to anybody else and only sees themselves as supreme. Come on, somebody. Your parents will say it about you. My parents will say it about me. And it is the human condition. The God of this age has blinded their eyes to see what value is it in forgiving somebody who's offended me. What, what, what value is it to give to somebody who has nothing to give me back? Or what value is it in letting somebody borrow something and not even expecting to get it back from what in the world? This upside-down thinking. It is spiritually discerned. In other words, only the Spirit of God can help you make sense of that, okay? So the spiritual eyes need to be opened, all right? Let me just, if I could, put your attention on some other verses to go along with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, all right? Let me just read these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Now, this is what I believe one of the most misused verses in all the Word of God. Uh, matter of fact, uh, let me ask a question of the group. Now, this held true at 8.30, and I'm going to ask at 10.15. How many of you have ever heard this, this phrase before, okay? Here's the phrase. Eyes have not seen... 
nor ears have heard the wonderful things that God has prepared. How many of you heard that at a funeral before? Raise your hand if you've heard that. And you've heard people say uh, that it's talking about heaven, right? No eyes ever seen heaven and no ears ever seen heaven. All right, how many of you have ever heard that sung or taught or shared at a funeral? Or sometime I have to raise your hand, raise it up high. Come on, let's say you said it. Some of y'all are reluctant, like I didn't. You heard it, you saw it somewhere. Raise your hand one more time in the audience. Okay, you look around, most everybody has heard it used that way, which is completely out of context. It is not at all what he's talking about here. Aren't you glad you came today? So you can leave with truth. What is he talking about? I'm glad you asked. Let's look. It has to do with what Jesus said to Paul, I'm going to send you, and the gospel you preach is going to have the power to, to give light, to, to change a blinded eye, a blinded perception. It's going to open their eyes to the truth, okay? Now, let me just share with you. Here it is. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. But as it is written, I has not seen, y'all help me, nor... Oh, we got to be talking about heaven. Heaven's so wonderful. It's got streets of gold and nobody's ever heard or seen. Uh, it goes on to say, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. God has prepared something special for those that love him. And they, so he, this is heaven. No, that is true, but that's not this. There's no verses. This verse is not talking about heaven. How do you know? Context is king. Context is king. We'll read the context. But this is a contrast. But God has revealed, oh, so eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard, but God has given it, revealed it to somebody. Let's see who it is. But God has revealed them the things that eyes, natural eyes haven't seen and the things that natural ears have not heard. God has revealed them to a certain group of people. Who does Paul say? Us. So we don't have to die, hallelujah, to hear the things that God wants to say and see the things that God's doing. Uh, it is given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. See the whole context of this passage. The eye hasn't seen it, the ear hadn't heard the things of God. doesn't make sense. Man can't see God's work. A man can't hear God's word and understand it unless the spirit of God be given to him or to her, and then you're able to see the activity of God. How many of you know you see things differently since you were born again? Yes. Things you used to tick you off, things that used to turn you inside out, things you didn't used to care about, you care about, things you didn't used to care about, you find yourself, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit does. But also you hear things different. Right? People say things, and you begin to discern by the Holy Spirit really what's going on. And so he says, uh, eye has not seen, but ear has not heard, but God has revealed them to us. How? Through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Now listen to what he goes on to say here. Yes, the deep things of God. Now how am I ever going to understand the things of God? I've got to have the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I'm blinded. If I'm not been born again, I'm spiritually blind. My understanding is blocked. I cannot gather and understand the things of God. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now listen to this in illustration he gives. For what man knows the thing of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Well, that's kind of wordy. What is he saying? Nobody knows, all right? Nobody knows Sophie like Sophie, right? Nobody. Uh, she can talk about things, right? She can uh, say things out loud. She can do things with her hands. But only Sophie knows what's in Sophie's mind and what's going on. Only her and Jesus. Y'all tracking with me? So nobody knows you like you. Nobody knows you like God. But you know you better than anybody knows you because there's certain things you think and do that nobody else has ever heard except God. Boy, it got quiet out there. I don't mean bad things. It can be good. Come on, y'all. It can be good things. And so what is he saying? Nobody knows a person like the person, Right? Now, notice the illustration he's making. Nobody knows God like God. 
And so you're blinded to that. Your mind can't receive it unless the Holy Spirit reveals to you what God is like, unless the Spirit reveals to you what you're like, whose you are in his hands. I'm telling you, these things are given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Let me read a little further along in that text. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world which is blinded to the truth of God and the ways of God, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard. They've been freely given to us, and it is the Holy Spirit of God that helps us discern. How many of you understand Jesus opened spiritual eyes? Say amen. Amen. Good. I can move on to number two. Number two, Jesus opened spiritual eyes. Paul is before Agrippa, and he's saying to Agrippa, there's hope for your eyes to be opened. It won't be in learning. It won't be in studying. It won't be in anything except for coming to Jesus by faith, and the Holy Spirit of God will give you understanding. Okay, so opening, Jesus is the way to open our spiritual eyes. Number two, Jesus, listen to this, turns darkness to light. Scratch from out in your notes there and just put Jesus turns darkness to light. Now, I like for things to be dark when I'm sleeping. Anybody else like that? I try to cover up. Tina says, you're ridiculous. I cover every little speck of light. If I, I get up out of the bed and put a note card over something, if the light's flashing somewhere, you know, I just like for it to be dark when I'm sleeping. But when I'm awake, I like for it to be light so I can see what I'm doing and know where I'm going. And anybody else understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> and let me say this about you and me. Uh, there was a time, if you've been born again, there was a time that you were darkness. Did you know that? Now, if you've been going here for a while, you've heard that before. We, we didn't just hang out in the darkness. We, we were the darkness. And if you're in here tonight, this is what's interesting. If you're in here this morning and you've not been born again, you are darkness. Aren't you glad you came that I could tell you that? So I'm like, boy, I'm going somewhere else next week. Is that guy told me that I'm darkness? Listen, your neighbor, and here's the, here's the interesting thing. If you died today and you're a pretty good old boy, you know, you cut your neighbor's grass every once in a while, maybe you go to church some, but you never have been born again, people will say, oh, he's a good old boy, and you were darkness. And at your funeral, they'll say, he's in a better place. When you're not, you're in a lake of fire. And no matter what's said here, it won't really matter because the reality of eternity is, whoa, it's a long time. And so what we were, in fact, born into darkness. Now, let me show you what this means. Paul, Paul said to Agrippa, listen, Jesus told me that he's sending me to the Gentiles, and I've got this purpose that this gospel I preach is going to open their eyes. They're going to see who they are in relation to God and their need for Jesus and who Jesus is, and they're going to have their, uh, they're going to go, if they choose, if they turn their life to Jesus, they're going to turn from darkness into light. Let me show you verse 18, to open their eyes in order, what's the purpose? In order to turn them from darkness. Come on, somebody help me to light. Now, Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse number 12. Read this with me, all right? John 8 and verse 12. Jesus spoke again. Here's what he said. I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. In other words, leave that up there for me just a second. What he's saying here is he's not a a spotlight. He's not a bulb. You, You see this kind of a spotlight shining down? That's not what he's talking about. I heard somebody say one time, boy, I don't like these churches that turn the lights down during worship because Jesus says he's the light. He ain't talking about kilowatts. Huh? What in the world? He's talking about moral purity and righteousness and rightness. He's talking about right thinking and right doing. He's talking about right love and right compassion and right selflessness. He's talking about rightness on a level we can't understand in ourselves because we have to have our spiritual eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to even begin to fathom who he is and what light really means. 
Then he says, I'm able to move you from darkness into light. Have you ever made this statement before, right? And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me, listen, shall not walk in you can't say you've been born again if you're still living in the darkness. Those two cannot be true, and I'm just quoting my master. He says, we, we, our lives can't be darkness and light. It's not, they're not the same. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Hallelujah, that's who Jesus is. But let's go on just for a second. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, because you may have heard this before. You may have heard this before. I, got, I just got with the wrong crowd. You ever said that about yourself? Anybody besides me? I feel like I'm the only one in here ever done anything wrong today. Y'all ain't participating with me, all right? Any of you ever said to yourself, I've just gotten the wrong crowds. What happened? I got with the wrong people, got the wrong crowd. And the truth of the matter is, I was the wrong crowd. And if you did the thing, you were the wrong crowd. And we just need a little encouragement, right? <laughs> we just needed some like-minded folks to encourage us to do what we wanted to do in the first place. And so what we don't realize about this truth is this. In Ephesians 5 and verse 8, you, this is what Paul said to the believers there at Ephesus. He says, you and I were once darkness. We didn't hang out in the darkness. We, in fact, were dark. Our heart was dark. Our mind was dark. Our actions were dark. Our motives were dark. What was the darkness that was our motives? Selfish, me, mine. And we're all born there. But what Jesus is saying to, to Paul and what Paul is saying now to Agrippa is that, that I have this gospel of Jesus Christ that I'm getting to go take to people and help them know they don't have to stay in that miserable condition of darkness. They can be transferred and made into light. I don't know about you guys, but that makes me smile on the inside that Jesus Christ has the kind of power to change somebody like me from darkness into light. It gives me hope when I get up out of the bed in the morning that no matter who I lay my eyes on, no matter who I'm in conversation with, any day of the week, every day of the week, that Jesus Christ has the power to move them from darkness to light. If you're here today and you are darkness, let me say this to you. I've been there and I remember what that's like. And the hope for you today is not perfect living. It's not giving a bunch of money to the Forest Glory offering. Oh, no. It is, in fact, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll save you. He'll move you from darkness to light. Okay, moving on. Number three, number three. And there are six of these, so y'all hang on. We're about almost at intermission, half time, okay? Number three, write this in your notes. Jesus turns uh, from the power of Satan to the power of God, all right? Same, same verse, to open their eyes in order to turn from darkness to light. And then thirdly, from the power of Satan to the power of of God. There's an illustration that seems to pop up in my head when I was younger, when I would read this, uh, this truth that, that lost people are under the power of Satan. Uh, how many of you remember like uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons? How many, any of y'all ever watched Bugs Bunny when you're little? I'm dating myself a little bit. So young people are like, Bugs Bunny, what, what in the world is that? And Looney Tunes, you remember when they would come on? And there were certain times when they would have like a basket and, and Bugs would play the flute, the flute, you know, and as he would play the flute, I could do the tune in my heart, doo, 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 you know, and all of a sudden out of that thing, you know, there would be like Donald Duck or somebody would be under his spell as he's playing the tune and they'd come out of there like a snake charmer. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And if you ever saw that, some of the young people are like, what is he talking about? And so anyway, the, the snake charmer is playing the flute. Bugs is playing the flute, the snake charmer, he's playing the flute and the person in the basket is mesmerized under the spell of the flute, right? But I used to think that was what he was talking about when he said that we're under the power of darkness but it's not, it's not that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, John gives us a picture of what it looks like to be in the lost condition, okay? 1 John 5, verse 19. You see it on the overhead, okay? Now, what does John say about believers first? We know what? That we're of God. In other words, there's something different about us and them, 
okay? We know that we're of God, but the whole world, in other words, those, that's an that's a identifying mark of somebody who's not come to Jesus, okay? So we know that we're of God, but the whole world, those who have not come to Jesus, y'all help me, what happens, what are they? Lies under the sway. Do you see what I'm talking about? I'm playing the little flute, and you see somebody, right, uh, of the wicked one. But literally in the Greek, this is a picture of somebody face down, prostrate on the ground, and they've got their, prost- and they've got their f- foot on their neck. And so, isn't it silly for the believer to be mad at lost people acting lost when they have no power to act any other way? They're powerless to live the saved life. Because the saved life is not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. The saved life is a personal relationship with a Savior who can pick you, take that foot off your neck. Come on, somebody. Push that enemy far away from you and stand you upright and change you from darkness to light. Jesus can do that, and he does that. And I'm so glad today to be preaching this gospel because he could very well do it in this room today, okay? So Jesus turns from the power of Satan to the power of God. I gave you 1 John 5. Now let me give you another verse. Uh, The opposite, if you will. Colossians 1 and verse 13. This is the opposite of that one, and it is this. Colossians 1, 13. Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. When I think about delivered, I think about how many packages are delivered in our community every day. Now, let me just look at y'all. Y'all get a little uncomfortable when we start talking about that. that uh-huh, there have been some conversations about that in the last months and weeks, haven't it? You're looking at the pocketbook and you're looking at the packages being delivered. I'm getting somebody, I'm stirring up something this morning to leave alone delivered. Somebody rushes in the driveway, they give a package, right? And they rush, y'all can smile and nod, it's okay, all right? And delivered. Something is taken from one location and brought to and delivered. By the way, the package can't deliver itself. Let me say that to you again. The package has no power to deliver itself. And so Jesus, this gospel that that, that Jesus has given to Paul and has given to all of us who've been born again is the fact that a person can be delivered from one, born in this kingdom of darkness, can, with a face down, with a foot on our throat, can be delivered into the kingdom of the son of his love. Boy, that, you talking about something you get to go tell people about today. You can leave out of here. There's no laws against it. And you can tell somebody that good news. My question for you is, why are you not doing that? Why, what have you been waiting on? What else are you going to talk about? Your football team? The weather? It's hot. It's not hot now. It's just dry. Everybody was not, stop saying it's hot now. Everybody's just saying it's dry. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the wellspring that can nourish and, 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 and quench the thirst of their soul. Stop wasting time. You're time you know, you're on, a, you're, on a, you're on a ticker, man, and the sand in your hourglass is coming out. I mean, it's coming out, and it's getting down to the wire, and any minute now, he's going to return, and many of us will stand before him empty-handed. We've just sort of wasted the resources that he's given us, and all we'll be able to say is, well, I went to church occasionally, and so I beg you, Take this good news to a lost and dying world. Okay, let me move on. This is a message inside the message, okay? So uh, Jesus moves us from the power of darkness to the power of light, all right? Now, number five, number four, rather, number four, Jesus, listen to this, forgives sin. Jesus forgives sin. Now this, when I'm looking at the list, well, this one right here hits me hard because I'm a sinner. And I don't know who else it'll touch. It probably won't mess with any of y'all in here because 
Well, many of y'all might not need a physician, and you might not be in need of a Savior. Uh, I say that's hogwash. Uh, Every one of us uh, is lost and separated from God at birth, and our only hope to know him is Jesus. Now, listen to what he says here in verse 18. To open their eyes, that's the reason that he's come, to open their eyes, and, uh, and going on to, in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive, what's the whole point of it? That they may receive forgiveness of sins. I was telling somebody this morning, they said, how are you doing? I said, I'm just so glad to be here. And they said, after all this time? I said, after all this time, I should be locked up somewhere. I think the statute of limitations may have run out, but still. There are things I've done in my past that, and I know y'all aren't like that, but there's a couple of us in here who know what I'm talking about. And I'm forgiven. And yesterday I was forgiven, and tonight I'm forgiven, and if I wake up tomorrow and I'm going I'm to mess up, I'm going to think some wrong things and do some wrong things, I'm forgiven in the high court of heaven. Do you know that there is never a case that could ever be drawn up against me in the courtroom of heaven that the adversary could ever make against me that the advocate, the Lord Jesus, hasn't already covered in the precious blood of the Lamb as he died for me? I'm forgiven. And so days of my life when I feel the weight of life and my own failures, because I'm telling you, sometimes I get so sick of fooling with me, and I'll get to that a little bit more in just a minute, but I'm so thankful that his forgiveness is not condition-based. It's not only to a certain point. Now, friend, I'm not saying to you today that you have a license to sin because of the grace of God. If you feel like that, you have missed it completely. But if, in fact, in walking this journey and striving to walk with him and to know him and to please him, there are days when your mind and your heart does the wrong thing, thinks the wrong thing, here's the good news. There's grace sufficient for the journey. And Paul's telling Agrippa that he is under the power of the enemy. He is uh, blinded to the spiritual truth. He's a man of prominent position, but Jesus can set him free. Jesus forgives Sin, let me give you a verse, and then we'll move on. Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Jesus. Can y'all read this with me? We have redemption, let's say the next three words, through his blood, his precious blood that flowed from his veins and his wounds, and, they ha- and as that blood flowed down, can you just see that old marred Roman cross where other bodies had been crucified, and here is the innocent lamb of God, Uh, tortured and beaten, and that blood that came out of his veins had the power to wash away the debt that I owed and the debt that you owed. And I'm telling you, it makes me want to sing, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Amen. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. Let me move on. Number five, if you will. Jesus grants an inheritance. Now, I'm going to get a little loud, so, you know, I don't want to scare you. Sit up straight and look at me. All right, as I talk about this inheritance in chapter 26 and verse 18, open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from power of Satan to power of God, that they may be received forgiveness of sins, and they don't just get forgiveness, they don't just get forgiveness, but they get an inheritance. You see, uh, have you ever wished that you had a rich uncle? Huh? I see Sean Schumacher back there smiling. You ever, I mean, let's just be honest with each other. You ever wish, seriously, you ever wish you had a rich uncle that, that, that maybe you didn't know him, but when he died, maybe, you know, I raise your hand if you've ever thought that thought. Okay, good, 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 good. That's my people. All right. Wouldn't it be nice just to kind of have something put on your account? How much more so? Listen to this. What is coming to you because of your father who owns everything? Now, one of these days, either the sky is going to part, the trumpet's going to blast, and we're going to go, dead in Christ are going to rise first, First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we who are alive and remain will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and we'll join them in the air, and either that's going to happen, or you and I are going 
to die. One of those two things. No other way out. And if we die, anybody tracking with me? If we die in an instant, if we have our faith in Jesus, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So in other words, you may be asking what happens to the believer when they die? Their soul goes to be with Jesus immediately, okay? Now, when you think about that, what is heaven going to be like? Can you imagine that for just a minute? Can we just take a journey for just a minute mentally as to what heaven is going to be like? I'll tell you, whatever we can think of is gonna be short of what it's really like. Can you imagine a pearl gate? One pearl gate, one giant pearl that we enter into the city and we enter into the city and, and first and foremost, let me just say that the crowning treasure of heaven is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no sun there because it has no need for light. The sun is the light. That's what the book of Revelation tells us. So I'm just going to say to you that one of these days I'm going to get to die, and I'm going to get to die and be free of this rascal that I am. I'm going to get to that in a minute, and I'm going to get to see Jesus with my own eyes. Now, some, some people say, man, I, uh, every time I say that, people say, I don't know, I'm going to be looking at the ground. I'm not. I'm going to look at Jesus. I'm going to look at Jesus. Somebody says, I don't feel worthy. I, I'm not thinking about that. He made me worthy. I want to look at it. He's beautiful. And I can only picture him in my mind and experience him in, in my soul, but I can't wait to look on him with my own eyes. And then I'm going to hug him. I got an inheritance coming. I'm going to hug Jesus. You think about that? I'm, I'm, my loved one's going to be there. That's great and fine. We'll see them in the next thousand years. But first and foremost, I'm going to hug the Lamb of God. Can you imagine being holy and righteous and pure enough to be able to wrap your arms around the Son of God and Him wrap His arms around you? There's an inheritance coming to those who put their hope and trust in Jesus. This is the benefit of knowing Him and being known by Him. It's what He purchased with His own blood, that where He is in John 14, we may be also, I can't wait. I can't wait to see Jesus. Anybody else can't wait to see Jesus? I can't wait to see him. But there's another part of my inheritance that I long for. And that part of my inheritance is that day in which I'll be rid of me. You see, there's one rascal that I really, most, a lot of days can't stand. Because he's very forgetful. And he oftentimes speaks against what God speaks and wants him to do. And he always has an attitude about it on the inside may not see it on the outside, and he, and he always wants to do the wrong thing. I wish, is anybody picking up what I'm putting down this morning? And, and that's me. That's me. That's Romans chapter 7. That's the, that's the body of death. That when I get to die, I'll not have to wrestle with that sucker ever again. I'll never have to hear his voice. I'll never have to hear him convince me to do the wrong thing. I'll never have to hear him give me an excuse to not do the right thing. I'll be rid of him. Now, is anybody else looking for that day? Oh, I'm so glad one day I get to leave him behind, all right? And there's other parts of this inheritance. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more chemotherapy, no more radiation. Come on, somebody. Uh, no more sugar uh, measurement tools and insulin and all the sort. Uh, one of these days, this inheritance. And listen, that's what Paul is saying to Agrippa. Jesus said it to Paul, I'm going to give you this message, now go and do it. And Paul's doing it. He's living in front of Agrippa saying, here it is. You can know God and have an inheritance with him. And then finally, finally, number six, you didn't think we were going to make it there, did you? If you listen quick, you may even be first one to the fish house. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Not at the end. I don't know what I was thinking. <clears throat> Jesus, 
Yeah, some of y'all are like, man, you might as well say amen because we're going. Jesus sanctifies by faith. Write that down if you will. Jesus sanctifies by faith. And I'm thankful today that I'm not preaching a gospel to you that Jesus sanctifies by good works. And I'm thankful I'm not up here today preaching you a message that says Jesus sanctifies by uh, if you follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. And I'm thankful I'm not up here preaching a gospel to you that says Jesus sanctifies by uh, if you go to church every time the doors are open. Or that you give a great offering to the fours, Lord. I'm glad I'm not preaching that gospel to you. Why? Because if it was any other requirement, you and I would fall short. So, so listen to what it says here in closing. To open their eyes, Paul was telling Agrippa, well, I was down there on my face, and I had been chasing Christians down and killing them for this name. This name, this man, this Jesus speaks to me and says, not only does he love me and forgive me, but he's letting me be a part of the journey of rescuing other people. Wow. Wow. And the journey will be to open their eyes. By the way, didn't it feel good to have your spiritual eyes open? You don't get frustrated by all the stuff you see going on. You understand it's part of the journey and you're able to make it through, right? Um, and, and, and to turn them from darkness to light. Doesn't it feel good to be light instead of darkness? Huh? Doesn't it feel good not to be who you used to be? It does to me. Uh, and from the power of Satan to God, aren't you glad you don't have to be who you used to be? And by the way, the statement, the devil made me do it, is the statement for unbelievers, not followers of Christ. The devil can't make you do it. He's no longer in, in control of your life. Now, you may fall to his temptation, but it was, in fact, me and you who made the decision. Oh, I'm moving on. That they may receive the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has the power to forgive all our sin. And then an inheritance comes along with that, that with the, those that have been sanctified. There's an inheritance coming in heaven that we get to enjoy together. That's what Paul's telling Agrippa, and Jesus was telling to Paul, who are sanctified, and this is how this group of people are sanctified. You ready? Jesus, is, Jesus said to Paul, they're sanctified by faith in, in, in him, in Jesus, in the person of Christ, that, that God the Son left the throne of heaven and came down to earth, the Son of God, the person of Christ, and the work of Christ that he went as a substitution for me and you. Instead of us, he went to the cross, and the work was done as he bled and died on Calvary's cross. You have to believe in the work and the person of Christ and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that he rose from the dead. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that very plainly, that you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then you have to confess with your mouth, somebody help me, that Jesus is Lord. I just want to leave you with, it is by faith that he saves and it's not of works, because if it was, we would all brag about it. And so today, I want you to consider what it is that you heard as you bow your head with me for just a moment. Will you do that? Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. I know I'm surprised as you are that we've run out of time. But as you make your little comfortable spot for just a moment, <clears throat> putting your stuff away, I'm going to ask you not to go in and out, you know, the doors, swinging them like a front porch hinge. Instead, that you right now in your spirit would anticipate a move of God rather than trying to get out of here as quick as you can. And I'm praying right now that maybe there's a brother or sister in Christ that might would get out of your chair and as the music begins to play, just make your way down to the altar to pray. Is there anybody out there that I could call on that would just come to pray for lost souls and pray for single folks and single parents? And young? Maybe there's somebody in the house that God's starting to just come pray for youth. The only thing he's got on your heart is just pray for our youth. And you'd leave out of your chair and just come down this altar and just begin to pray.
the greatest offer most commonly rejected. Remember, as Paul explained this to Agrippa, don't, don't forget his response. Do you remember what it was? You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. I would imagine today if we could talk to Agrippa, if we could, there's a great gulf fixed between where he is and where we are and where we're going, those of us who've been born again. But if we could ask Agrippa, hey man, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I would have received God's invitation to be saved and part of his family because now my soul's in torment in this flame. Did you know that today the invitation is for you? That if you've never given your life to Jesus, do you know there's been no better time than right now? What are the requirements? Repentance. You have to turn away from being your own boss. Repentance and faith that Jesus died for you and rose again, and that's enough. And that by itself can make you right with God. And that today you would call on Him. That's what the Word of God says. You have to call on Him. And maybe today, right where you're seated, you might say something like this, Lord, I'm calling on you today. I'm calling on you. I realize I'm lost and separated from you, and I, I've heard this gospel today, and I want Jesus, and I want, I want all the wonderful benefit of knowing him. And so, Lord Jesus, would you come and be Lord of my life? I want to receive you today. Forgive my sin. Set me free. Give me a purpose worth living for. Now, did you know you can do that right where you're seated? You don't have to walk down an aisle to do that or come shake our hands or hug one of our necks, although we would love to be here for you if you have some questions. So today, just as humbly as I can, without coming to find you, and I won't do that. I'll never do that. I don't play those kind of games. If you're here today and you've invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I would just ask you with heads bowed and eyes closed to slip your hand up so that I know to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up? I see you there. And I see you there. Right there, I see you there. God bless you. You can hold them up just for a second. I see you there and back there. Any others, would just slip your hand up? And I'd like to just pray for you. I'm not going to come find you. You'll have the opportunity to come if you feel led. So, Father, I thank you this morning for those who've raised their hands. Lord, I thank you that probably there may be some who didn't raise their hand, but right now you're dealing with them with your wonderful love. And I pray they would let you win. As you wrestle us with your love, I pray that they would surrender. And for the one who raised their hands, God, I pray that today they would, with reckless abandon, just turn their life over to you. Just make the leap and invite Jesus to come and be Lord right where they're sitting. Father, would you remove the blinders and give spiritual understanding? Transform them from darkness to light. Move them from the power of Satan to your power, God. Father, give them forgiveness of their sin. A great inheritance, all by faith. Just a minute, we're going to give you an opportunity. I hope that you'll come. There were a lot of hands raised. I hope that you'd come today and that, hey, we could help you with the next steps of your journey. There are others of you here who, listen, you have surrendered to Christ, but you've not been living the mission and so as you hear Paul's testimony, there's conviction that comes that says, I'm supposed to be doing that same thing. Now, I'm not before a Roman king, but before my family and my classmates, my friends, telling people of this wonderful gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you just ask God to help you with that. This week would be different. You'd begin to live the mission. 
Maybe in this time of response, God is calling you to be a part of this gathering as he did two families this morning in the early worship time. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but I pray you'd listen and you'd do exactly what he says to do. Father, I pray that you would move now in accordance with your wonderful will. God, your amazing love is chasing people down right now. I pray your spirit would bind the enemy of our flesh and the enemy of Satan. Lord, that you would take the blinders off of eyes and help us to see the light of the gospel. Would you move now, Lord? Move in our hearts. Move. Have freedom to move. Remove the stumbling block of pride from our lives, and God, break our hearts and move us to a place of repentance. We pray this in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Would you stand with me and let's lift our voices in song?